Good morning, church. Are we ready for this? We are ready to dive into in our series, Ephesians 1 through 3, and we are going to be wrapping up chapter 2, and the title of the message today, I Am Reconciled, where we're asking some questions about, who am I? What was I made for? And I hope each one of us, that we can answer the question, I know what I'm made for. I know why I'm here. I know my purpose. But unfortunately, so many of us, we don't know. We cannot answer with full confidence, I know who I am. Is that you? That if someone was to ask you, who are you? Who are you really? Not what do you do or what you've accomplished or where you've come from, but who are you? Could you answer the question, what are you made for? You were made for something. You were created with a purpose. What is your purpose? Do you have an answer to that? Throughout the series, we've been talking about that I am, I am chosen, I am elect, that I am forgiven, I'm redeemed, that I'm alive. So last week we looked at going from death to life. I now know that I was dead. I was living in darkness. I was living for myself. I was living selfishly apart from God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can now say, but I'm alive. Because of God, I'm alive. Because of what Jesus did, I'm alive. And today we want to take one step closer to answering those questions of who am I? Who am I really? And Paul would say, if you're a follower of Jesus, You can say, I'm reconciled. I'm reconciled. I am reconnected where I was once divided, torn. Once against, now for. And that starts vertically. Everybody say vertical. It starts vertically that once we weren't connected, but now there's a connection that cannot be broken. Once I had walls up against other people. We're not together. I'm not like them. I'm not like her. I'm not like him. We are not connected. I am so against, and because I'm connected with God, he's now changed not only my eternal relationship, but now my temporary, earthly, horizontal, everybody say horizontal, all my horizontal relationships are now changing because where there was once a a wall, I am now a wall breaker. I am now moving in instead of opposed. I am for others to experience the goodness of God new life in Christ. Now I'm able to break down walls because Jesus broke down the dividing wall. And we're going to dive in to that. We also know that in our packets there in the booklets that you not only have the notes for today, but you also have a reading plan all week that you are able to get into small groups throughout the week. And maybe you just want to do a, a Skype or a FaceTime with a friend and be able to, to say, let's do it together. Let's walk through this together and to be able to walk through the small group questions, maybe in, in your home, maybe around the table to be able to have discussions. And we have those questions in there for you to answer, to be able to engage with God's word. And we want to live it, not just know it, right? And so let's get low before the Lord. And we're going to dive into Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22, 11 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. If you need to look at the table of contents, get to Ephesians. If you are taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Number one, remember. This might look familiar from last week. We have three key words that we looked at last week as we looked at I am alive. We talked about remembering and worshiping and celebrating. We're going to see that again this week. Remember. What, what is it that I need to remember? Well, we're about to find out, starting in verse 11, there is a reason that Paul repeats a number of times, I need to remember I was separated from Christ without any hope. I was separated from Christ without any hope. 
John Newton said this, my memory is nearly gone at the end of his life, he said, but I remember two things. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And I hope even at the end of your life, if you don't remember anything else that you would remember, I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great Savior. Where do we get that idea from? Where did John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Where did he get that from? Well, he remembered this. Verse 11. Are you there? Everybody say, I'm there. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember, remember. Everybody say, remember. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, non-Jews, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. Everybody say, ugh. There we go. Are you all cleared out now? Got, Got the sinuses opened up. Uh, uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Yes, yes, we are the circumcision. Which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember, everybody say remember. Uh, remember, remember that you, that you were at that time separated from Christ. Don't you remember? Don't you remember you were separated from Christ? You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Anybody feel hopeless at this point? Every single non-Jew, no one outside of the people of Israel had hope. They didn't have a word from God. They didn't have hope and a covenant, a commitment from God. But Paul says, y'all got to remember, when you were far off, when you were hopeless, when you were on the outside, it was a hopeless, bottomless pit. You were without God. So despite a, a non-literal dividing wall, we talk about walls. Should we, should we get political and talk about building walls and separating nations? No, we won't go there. Okay. So as we consider not a literal dividing wall, but Paul is reminding there was a wall between Israel, God's people, and all the other nations. God was working among his people, his chosen people, Israel. The circumcision, they were called. Made by hands, there was a mark of the covenant. If you are God's covenant people, circumcision was the mark, was the visual representation of chosen by God, right? God's hand, his covenants, his promises. And Paul says, hey, y'all, that are not of Israel, that are not under the promises and the covenant, Hopeless. Hopeless. Do you remember that? Do you remember? Have you forgotten that you were apart from the hope that God was offering? He says all of us were. All of us were there, but he says especially you non-Jews, you Gentiles. But what happened? What happened? The work of Jesus then reconciled where there was enemies and animosity, where there was hostility, Jesus comes to break down the dividing wall that All are under God's judgment. All are under God's wrath. There is no hope. No hope in trying to be born into the right family if you could work really hard to get yourself into the lineage of God's people. You can't do that on your own. There was no way to work your way through that. There was no way to fully be right with God by your own commitments, jumping through the hoops, trying to get right with God by going through the avenue of being part of God's people, Israel. And he said, That's not needed. Their identity was no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. The church, it was a new thing. God was doing a new thing. Everybody say new thing. 
God was doing a new thing. 2,000 years ago, he was starting to do a new thing that was really an old thing promised and the old promised and the new fulfilled. Now, it's all nations. Do you believe that? Every people group, every nation, no matter background, no matter where you were born or no matter what family you were born into, hope has come and it's found in Christ. Available to all. Available to all. Available to every single person. Uh, throughout history, missions has been marked by uh, white people going to the nation, spreading the gospel, and people saying, well, that's white man's religion. That's white man's religion. That's, that's for the, the white people. It's not for us. We have our own religion. But Jesus came so that no matter what people's backgrounds, if they had many gods or they grew up in a strong, multi-generational group religiously, that they could be set free personally and brought into God's family where it's every tongue, tribe, nation, people. That's really, that's really good news. That's really good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. That is really good news that we can go anywhere, we can talk to anybody, and we can know the gospel is for them. It's not for some. And could, could I clear something up? I don't know how many times I have heard people say, well, I, I, I know that grace is... It covers all sins, and I, I know that Jesus died for everybody, but, I mean, if you knew my brother-in-law, man, I mean, if you knew the family I grew up and you knew the way that my stepdad was, I think we're fully convinced that really, really bad people somehow are on the outs, that they're beyond the reach of God, that somehow their heart is so hard, that they are so unclean, they're so dirty, they've wandered and strayed beyond God's reach and i wonder deep down do you believe that do you believe that 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 you don't have conversations with certain people that you don't share the grace of the gospel because you're like there's no way they're going to listen they're so hard there's they're so opposed and do you know what the good news is that god's people israel have thought for the duration of their team being the winning team, being the only team that every other team is doomed to lose, that they are it and everybody else is beyond help and hope. Is that true? Is that true? No, I, I was separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ. All people separated, but God is a God of reconciliation. If you're taking notes, write this down, that we remember we were separated, that Christians are reconciled to God and one another, that there is now hope. What's our response? We worship. We worship. We worship. If you're taking notes, worship. Christ is my peace. He's my peace. Bringing Jew and Gentile together as one through his blood. Verse 13. Are you there? Verse 13. But now, but now, but now. Everybody say, but now. Where's, gonna, where's hope going to come from? Where all the division and all of the arrogance and, and the pride and is there a solution? Yes, there is. But now, everything's changing. Where once we were enemies with God, where once we were divided among each other, do you believe that God changes everything? But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you've been brought near, brought close, intimately close by your hard work and you cleaning up your life and living a moral life. Is that what? Does your translation say that? Okay, let's try to get this, let's get this one right, okay? This is a big deal, right? You were once far off and you've been brought near because you try to 
get back to church and you try to do the right thing and you stop swearing and stop smoking. Is that? You're, it doesn't say that either? All right, all right. Preacher, come on, come on. In Christ, you were once far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus alone, Jesus alone, Jesus alone. Do you believe it? I was so far gone. Do you know how many testimonies there are in the church that people that have been raised in the church and were present at every time the doors were opened, that they were far off from God, even though they were near to God's people? How many testimonies are there of, I was in church all the time, but my heart and my mind was, it was far, far from God. I was in the right place, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. It's only through the blood of Christ. It's only through his sacrifice. It's only when there is confidence in Jesus that the heart can change, that then the relationship can change. Verse 14, for he himself, I love this, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Anybody in the house need peace? It doesn't say when you're going through really hard stuff, God offers peace. And he kind of dishes out a little bit of peace. It doesn't say that the gift given is peace. What does it say? He himself is peace. He's the man of peace. The God-man. He is peace. Do you know him? Do you seek God just for the gifts that he can give? God, I just need peace right now. God, give me peace. I'm so overwhelmed and things aren't going my way and I'm so frustrated and I have so much anxiety, so much depression. I just, I need your peace. Would you just, I don't want you, God. I just want the peace that you can offer. And I don't know if we would ever say that out loud because it sounds really bad when you say it out loud, right? Everybody say that sounds bad. It sounds bad. It sounds really bad. God, I'm not interested in having a relationship with you, following you, obeying you, submitting to you, but I really want your gifts. So like, pay up, buddy. Can you dish out some of that peace so I can feel a little bit better? Because I don't want the pill that the guy tells me that I should be on to take care of all that ails me. But God, could you kind of like dish me out a heavenly pill and I could be on my way feeling a little bit better, a little less anxiety, a little less depression. God, could you just like give me some of that peace? And I wonder today if we need to hear God saying, I want to give you something better than just a little bit of peace. I'm giving you all of me. And I wonder if Jesus in his house is just searching for people that actually want him, not what he can give, but they want to love him. They want to receive him. He is peace. Are you experiencing that? God, the more that I get you, the more peace I experience in my life. The more that I draw close to you, the more that you rub off on me. Because God's not interested in just being used by you for the gifts. He wants to know you and love you. He did everything, everything for you to see this dividing wall. What does it say? He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. No more hostility no more rage and anger and competition and division. He's changed it. It's different now. Verse 15, how did he do this? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one 
new man in place of the two. So making peace, making peace. And that he might reconcile us, reconnect us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing, that's pretty strong language, right? He killed the hostility. He killed it. No more comparing and no more judging and no more us versus them. We are all a mess. We're all in need. We were all rebels. And what Jesus did is he brought peace. He brought peace that could overcome any kind of division, any kind of hostility. I don't know what you're facing with judgment and comparison and bigotry and arrogance of superiority or feeling inferior and needing to fight whether it's based on class or sex or race, ethnicity, whatever, politically, it applies to all. It applies to all. We were once not chosen, now we are brought in by the cross. He killed it. Uh, I jotted this down. I don't don't know if this is going to be helpful, but I want to be helpful. Everybody say, be helpful. All right, I will, I will. will. If if you idolize, you're going to demonize, which means if you idolize your nation, and your state, if you idolize anything that has to do with where you live and how you've been raised and in your culture, you're going to demonize other nations and other cultures. When you idolize your preferences, you're going to demonize other people's preferences. When you idolize your moral achievements, you're going to demonize others who have moral failures that you've never struggled with. The Jews idolized their moral life and their law-keeping that they were the people of the covenant. They idolized their family lineage. They idolized their heritage. And therefore, they did what? They demonized those that are uncircumcised pigs. We're not like them. We're better than them. We're more civilized than them. We know God and they don't. We have the location of the temple, of the presence of God, and they are far from him. What you idolize, you will you'll necessarily demonize. And I don't know what it is for you, but we find such creative ways to idolize our thing. The number of times that I've been around pastors that have said, well, the thing we're doing at our church, man, we're killing it. Can you believe other churches are doing that? Clearly, that's not going to work. We kind of found our thing. How many people that have started, even started doing something good, and they're like, we're killing it over here doing Our thing that works, their thing is broken. Even in the name of Jesus, how many are saying, well, our ministry, our ministry is, man, it's pretty awesome. We're doing it the right way. Everybody else, wrong. What we idolize, we will necessarily demonize. And I'm sure that that has never happened among us in, in our church, right? We would never struggle at all with comparing among ourselves with others. Never, ever would we compare our church with other churches. We would... We never do that. Turn to your and say, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. It's a, it's, a, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. But we're about this. We're about one thing. We're about the main thing. Keeping the main thing, the main thing is really, really hard. And keeping the gospel at the center that we are for the gospel, pro-Jesus. We're on team Jesus, and we are pro-Jesus. Right? And we want everybody else to experience what it's like to be part of the family and to be together in unity. Ever say unity. That's what we're going after. The good news is we all have access to King Jesus. We all have access to Jesus the Savior. No matter how far we've strayed, no matter our background, no matter our upbringing, no matter 
what kind of things we pride ourselves in that we all can humble ourselves and enter in that we all have access. Therefore, we can experience unity. That's good news. The bad news, we idolize our thing as exclusive and it perpetuates division. Everybody say boo, boo, lame, not doing that. I'll confess. How often am I prone to forget because I do not remember where I was. I, I forget where I came from. I forget all that God has rescued me from. I forget all of the, the horrors of the consequences of my own sin, my own rebellion. I forget that. And therefore, I can get busy looking and scanning and seeing what everybody else is doing and making sure that, that others are kind of following the track and, and forget you were separated. You were lost. You were hard. Do you remember? Do you remember? And how many times do I need to be reminded, John, this is a time to, to worship. It's a time to remember. It's a time to worship and that I was far off and I've been brought in. I've been brought in by grace. I've been brought in to experience unity among the church. Do we want more of that? More unity? More togetherness? Down with gossip? Down with slander? Down with little chatting and talking online and social media and in the parking lot and texting of what we don't like and what we're against and what other people are doing or not doing? We are pro-Jesus, therefore we are pro-unity. His thing, not our thing. His ways, not our ways. Are you on that game plan? Can we do that together? Can we do that together? We are now one. We are now one because Jesus is my peace. He's my peace. I love this. Revelation 5.9, <laughs> thinking about all that divides us. What's going to be the final song? What's going to be the song in the end, around the throne? Here's one of the songs we're going to sing. It says, they sang a new song. They sang a new song. Everybody say it's new. Finally, finally, we can experience in full singing this song when it's all said and done. In the end, we're going to sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, Jesus. You were slain and with your blood, there it is, it's with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language, people and nation. Everyone comes together because of what Jesus has finished. And guess what? We're not going to get over it because around the throne when it's all over and we're all gathered together, right? In the end, there's going to be a song and we're going to look around and go, nobody looks like me and nobody came from where I came from and we're all so different and we were so divided, but this is what brings us on our knees around the throne. The blood of Jesus has brought us together. We are, we're one, experiencing unity in full. Do you believe that we can experience that in part now? Before that day, that's God's heart. That's God's heart. Reconciliation, reconnection with God, with others. We gather as one to celebrate. We are one. We are one. Every say we are one. We are one through the blood. We are one to be able to worship and celebrate. How awesome. Number three, if you're taking notes, jot this down. We, we celebrate. We celebrate. We celebrate. As one, we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Oh. Is that something to be celebrating? I don't, I don't know what's up with your walk with God. I don't, I don't know where you're at thinking about this. Because in the American church, we're pretty good at me and Jesus, me and Jesus. It's kind of a me and Jesus thing. It's just it's personal. My faith is private. It's personal. I mean, you wouldn't understand. It's just a me and Jesus thing. We've got the special relationship, right, in private. We've got, we got it going on. It's just really personal. I mean, I don't like to talk about my faith because it's just very personal. 
God doesn't know of a faith like that. It starts individually, but it moves out. It's not just a me thing, it's a we thing. It moves from, I became a Christian to, we are the church. We are the church. I went from me to we. Do you believe that? Do you live that? It's not just a me thing. I show up to church occasionally. I kind of kind of step in and dabble a little bit, and, but it's mostly private. It's mostly kind of my thing, and I, I do it on my own. The world is impacted. Our culture and our community sees the light in the midst of the darkness when this happens, when me moves into we. Because what does it say? Verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's good news, right? You are no longer strangers and aliens, but now what's going to happen? You are fellow citizens with the saints. Saint is any Christian, any follower of Jesus. You are made holy by the Holy One Jesus. Fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Do you believe you belong to the family? Do you believe that you are part of God's household now? And if you are, you live differently. You think differently. Not me, but we. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, meaning all of the scripture that have been written as the basis for the good news, the truth that we live our lives as God's people. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's the one that holds all of this together. He's the centerpiece. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in him, I say Jesus, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. How? By the Spirit. God's Spirit is working. God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes you as an individual, convicts you of sin, shows you you're lost. Have you experienced that before? Has there been a time in your life where God's Spirit is doing something inside of you saying, you are, you are gone. You are off track. The pathway that you have chosen and that you continue to choose is leading to death. The Holy Spirit doesn't just convict us of sin, but the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the hope. Have you been convicted by the Holy Spirit that you are wrong and need to be made right? That you are living in death and you need to be made alive? Well, if that's happened to you, that Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that has moved into you to convict you also permanently resides when you trust in Jesus and He does not move out. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is in you, leading you, speaking to you? But guess what? It gets better. It gets better. Everybody say it's better than that. Do you, do you know what else the Spirit of God is doing? The Spirit of God is taking hyper-individualistic community members in every community and He's radically saving them applying the blood of Jesus, cleansing them, and then bringing them into a family, creating a new people. And every community around the world, communities, households are being formed because this transformation that God is doing, it's a community project. It's a community project. Do you believe that? It's a community project. It's about the community, not just what I can do, me and God by myself, if you've been saved, you've been saved for heaven, reconciled with God, but you've been saved also for this. You've been saved to be together in unity with a local church. Do you believe that? 
that I don't just do this alone. I don't just have my prayer time alone and I'm in the word alone and I'm doing evangelism, reaching out and sharing the gospel personally. God always intended this. I'm building a household. I'm building a people from all peoples. I'm building a household from multiple households. And I've said this before, this is so true of my experience. That first one saved in my family, first one to become a Christian in my 20s. And guess what slowly started to happen? As my heart changed and my values changed, my pursuits changed, my desires changed, my outlook on life changed, what I believed was changing, I slowly discovered I don't have as much in common with my blood family, but because of the blood of Jesus, I find myself gravitating towards the church. I can have conversations I can't have with my family members, with my church family, because the Spirit of God is at work in His people, and He brings them together. We need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need me. Let them know. You need me, bro. You need me. Do you believe that? You need me. I need you. I need you. We can't do this alone. The Spirit of God is doing something to create something brand new where there is so much division. Unity. Where people that are so accustomed to all this division and we are better and us versus them, now there's a dwelling place. And guess what? The dwelling place is personal and it's collective. It's personal and it's collective. And here's a reason that the author of Hebrews, I don't know if you want to jot this address down, go ahead and jot this down. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir one another up more love, more good works. Let's do that together, not neglecting, not neglecting. Everybody say, don't neglect. Here it is. Do not neglect to meet together. Who would do that? Who would neglect gathering together as a family? Who would do that? And every American said, eh, me? That's what I do. I neglect it. I neglect it. I got better things, more things to do. But for 2,000 years, the church has been called by the Spirit of God to say, stop neglecting, stop wandering, stop isolating, stop backing up when you should be pressing in. Stop. Don't do that anymore. Don't neglect meeting together. Can you believe it's the habit of some? It's, a, it's as if God knew that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, when they were radically saved and they were brought into the church, that the whole church would kind of be like, eh, I don't know if I really need you. I don't really get along with you. I don't know if I'm really down with what you're, what you're calling us to do. I don't know if I really like these people because I kind of used to like hate people like you, your kind, your people. And now we're all in the same room together and we're having like worship the God that we all agree upon. I, I don't know if I have time for that. I, I'm a busy person. And for 2,000 years, this is what the Spirit of God has been doing. It's the habit of some. Some people have a habitual pattern in their life of saying, maybe next week, church. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. But here's the deal. If we neglect it, this is what doesn't happen. Encouraging one another. Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's get together. Let's be together because the Spirit of God is doing something not just personally, but God is calling us to do something as a family that is unique. 
So as the worship team comes, we're going to do this. We're going to land the plane. Everybody say land the plane. There we go. <laughs> we're ramping up for some good stuff in the future. But the only way that 2023 can be a year where we're looking forward with a God-sized vision is if we do it together. If we do it together. We need each other. We need to be with each other. We need to gather together because God is growing something. What does it say? He's growing a holy temple. And it's not a physical temple. It's not a location. God meets with his people differently than he meets with us individually. Do you believe that? God does unique personal things in our lives if we're following Jesus. But here's God's plan. We don't go to a temple anymore. We don't go to a location where God's presence is there. God's presence is in us. But he says, come together. I'm building something, a spiritual temple. Everywhere God's people meet, God is meeting them in a unique way that we can't experience unless we're with God's people. Why did God intend that every single week that we would gather together? Why is it that on the Lord's day that there would be a gathering where we encourage each other and need each other and that we come together? Why is that so important? Because the power of God is at work in a unique way when God's people come together. Something happens where we can one another. We can minister to each other. We can't do that when we're off doing our own thing. We need to be together. Now, I don't know where you're at with your level of conviction about priorities and about wanting to experience being this place, this temple that he speaks of. How they join together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, being built up together, a dwelling place by God, the Holy Spirit. How awesome is that? So as we stand together, I just want us to finish with this. If you're in Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you. A temple is useless now because Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is how we experience the presence of God and worship God. Jesus saves us. He makes us his brothers and sisters. He makes us a dwelling place of God. We're all different. Just take a second, look around with a loud voice. You can say, you're different. All right, look around. Wow, you're different. (laughs) You are different. You sure are different. And we can also say, and you are welcome here. And you are welcome here. And we are brothers and sisters. We're family. right? It's it's often been said that uh, God's church is like a a fruitcake. There's a a whole lot of nuts in there. But welcome to the fruitcake. Welcome. Welcome. We are all necessary. We are all needed in God's power and presence working through his church as his church gathers and says, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God's doing something to build community, and bring us together as one. And we all are to experience that. And this is something supernatural. We can't manipulate it, but when we gather, we say, God, have your way. We are your people. Come. Come meet with us. Work in us. So let's, let's say this just in our, our last slide here. We have just our three reminders. Here are the truths we've been thinking about this morning. Let's say them together. I was separated from Christ without any hope, but Christ is my peace, bringing everyone together as one through His blood. And we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit 